the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When you hear someone teach or preach or say or act as if if you just follow this simple formula, if you take these steps, if you do these principles, then everything is going to be simple in your faith journey. You can rest assured they have no clue what they're talking about. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We put conditions on our surrender. So it's a lot easier to stand and sing songs like, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. But man, we are terrible at really giving Him our all. At least I am. And yet according to Scripture, when we come to Jesus, there's no such thing as conditional surrender. When we raise that white flag, it's intended to be absolute. And so I'm not the judge, and, and thank God on this side of heaven, none of us are the judge. But the reality is, as you look at Scripture, you must really evaluate if I have compartmentalized my faith and said, God, I like you on Sunday, and, and I'll do this, but I won't give you that. Have we got any of it at all? Because according to Jesus, he's desirous of a relationship that involves all of us. I want you to understand that today. God wants all of you. And that natural human tendency is to compartmentalize God, but the supernatural intent of God is complete and total surrender. So let's go back to the man's question. And what was his question? Basically, it's, Jesus, what's the secret to life? He didn't say it that way. He said, how do, you, how do I have eternal life? In some places it says, how do I have, inherit the kingdom of God? How do I get the most of life? How do I live life to the fullest? How do I keep living a life that goes on when this life is over? These are questions we ask today, aren't they? In fact, we're all confronted with life and death. And so really it's a good question, and he went to a good person. When you're dealing with the question of life, it's good to go to the creator of life, right? So all is good there. The question was clear, but the questioner was confused. And you see that in the question because he says, what must I do to inherit? You see the conflict? An inheritance is someone you receive, something you receive simply because of who you are. Not because of something that you've done. So, for example, I I have five children. And if something should happen to me and Kimberly, then they will inherit all of our bills. And so, uh, (laughs) uh, you inherit 
because of who you are, not because of what you do. And, and yet what we want to do, we're still confused about this today. Though scripture teaches us the best things in life are free to us as children of life. We spend our lives and we spend our, our wills trying to do something. And maybe the best example of this is something I'm, I'm still learning in marriage. So this week we celebrated 25 years of marriage together. And what a blessing that is. Thank you. That's called the grace of God and the grace of Kimberly. But as we began to walk through challenges in, in, in our marriage, one of the things that I would learn is that often if, if Kimberly would be struggling with something and we would have a conversation, I would want to do something to fix it. And occasionally, sometimes, there would be something I could do. Occasionally, it would be that simple. But more often... She wasn't looking for me to do something. She just wanted me to be there. And just as true as that in marriage, as as it is in marriage, it should make sense to us that since marriage is to be a picture of our relationship with God, that it's true in our relationship with God. Though our desire is to do something, to work our way into the pleasure of God, the reality is he wants us just to understand who we are and to be his children in the way that he intends So how did Jesus answer to get him to this point? Well, he sent him to the law. Jesus said, what does the law say? Why did he send him to the law? Not because the law saves us. The law does not save us. But what the law does is to show us our need for salvation. Now, when Jesus would send a lawyer to the law, this was a religious lawyer. So Jesus knew that he would know the law. What was the law? It's the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. It was called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Jesus said of all these laws, 13,000 of them, the Pharisees had by this point. What does the law say? And he knew the lawyer would know. The truth is, the law reminds us of how much we need salvation. When we understand the seriousness of the law, we recognize our inability to fully comply with the law. When I was a child, like some of you, I learned the Ten Commandments. If we were to walk through them right now, most of us recognize not getting to the 13, we're failing, 13,000, we're failing when it comes to the Big Ten. We can't comply with the law. That's why we needed Jesus who fulfilled the law and made salvation possible for us. That's how we see our need for Jesus. I think there's a lot of confusion about that in the church today. And that's why people maybe make a, a decision as a child and they get to adulthood and recognize, I don't know what I was doing. Because as a child, we can recognize that we love God and everybody wants Jesus in your heart. But when we talk to children or when I talk to adults, what I want people to understand is that it's their sin and their failure to meet the standard of God's law that demands that we repent and turn to Christ because he's our only hope. And so Jesus sent him to the law. And when Jesus sent him to the law, he then said to him, how do you read it? 
Now, now why did Jesus ask that? I, I think he wants us to understand that this is not rocket science. I'm so glad you showed up, and this is an important spiritual discipline, and we need good teaching in our life, but you have God's word. (laughs) And occasionally I hear people say, oh, I just wish I could hear God speak to me. If you want to hear God speak to you, all you need to do is open your Bible and read. And if you want to hear God speak to you out loud, read the Bible out loud. It's really not complicated. So Jesus said, how do you read it? Jesus wasn't asking this because God's word is a smorgasbord where you can take it your way and I can take it my way. He was asking this because he knew the truth of God's word is simple and straightforward and anyone looking for the truth can find it. Just like the simplicity of a sock puppet. And so the man answered. He answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with your strength and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest of the laws, the Shema. Comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. You see the Shema. And after you see what we just read, it says this These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. A couple of months ago, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land, to Israel. And throughout Israel, it was not uncommon to see Orthodox Jews, and they would look something like this. This is an Israeli soldier. But what you see is a box right here on his arm and another box on his forehead. These are called phylacteries. And you know what's inside these phylacteries? The Shema. And you know what the Shema is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And so think about this. (laughs) This lawyer came to test Jesus and likely on his forehead was a box that had the answer to the question that Jesus would ask. And so he says, yeah, you you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So the truth is this lawyer had a problem we have today. 
He had learned the command, but he was not living it out. Wow, too often today, church, I think we're educated beyond our obedience. And there may be a day even in my lifetime where that's not true of the church because more and more folks are coming from a background where they don't have any church experience. But many of you, you did go to vacation Bible school. You have been in Sunday school. You know the stories. You know the commands. But we're simply not living it out in a way that is faithful. One of the books I read while I was away is this little book by Bob Goff. It's called Everybody Always. I I couldn't recommend it more highly. It says, Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. Has anybody ever had a setback? Anybody else? Anybody ever been around anybody difficult? Anyone? (laughs) Been around me, you've been around somebody difficult. Listen to what he says in the premise of this book. God doesn't want us to just study him Like he's an academic project. He wants us to become love. Now think about that Shema that this lawyer had on that box in his head. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Why is that so comprehensive? Because God in his ultimate wisdom wanted us to understand this is not about part of you. This is about all of you. And until you get that God wants you to give him your all, you're not becoming love. Let me ask you today, are you becoming love? Chuck Swindoll, when he talks about this passage, he reminds us of why this is so important because he says, what you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. That's what we're going to learn as we look at the Samaritan. It's not what he did that made the impact. It's who he was and who he was determined what he saw and what he saw determined what he did. So if we're not doing what God wants us to do, what we need to ask, are we seeing what he wants us to see? And if we're not, then we must really examine, are we who we think we are? So I have a confession to make. As I knew this, for months we've known we were headed toward this day. We knew we were going to do this uh, series. There's just been a a documentary produced on the life of Mr. Rogers that kind of butted this idea in my heart months ago. And so we knew we were planning for this moment. And so as I was away, I was reading and thinking about this. And not far into it and far into reading that book from Bob Goff, I... I was convicted. (laughs) I was convicted that that I'm not a very good neighbor. And it's not necessarily that I'm a bad neighbor. Though probably not everybody likes our dog, but that's another story. (laughs) But I I don't think I'm the neighbor that God wants me to be. Not, Not just with those houses that are in close proximity, but in my life, I'm not sure that I'm seeing everybody the way God wants me to see everybody and doing those things that I need to do. But to illustrate that, I want you to understand something. As I begin to wrestle with God, you know, the Bible says we do that sometimes. Sometimes we test God, sometimes we wrestle with him. So as I begin to wrestle with God, I I thought of things like this. I have got a big family, five children 
22 down to 5. That takes a lot. I'm a pastor. We're a pretty big church. And because we're made up of people, guess what? As people, we all have our challenges, and that takes a lot. I thought about the the cancer that Kimberly walked through four years ago, and, and I thought about the adoption that we've gone through and was finalized. We're almost a year to that finalization from when that took place. And as I began to list these things off, I... I noticed something that all of these things had in common that may keep me from being a good neighbor. They, they all center around me. And I, I feel like what Jesus was saying to that lawyer and, and what he's saying to this pastor and, and what he may be saying to you is that, that we'll never do what he's asking us to do if it really is all about us. Is it all about you? See, I can't be a good neighbor if it's all about me. Because the root of being a good neighbor is making my life all about him. And don't miss this. Everything I mention is a good thing, right? I love my family. And I think that's good. I love this church. I hope you could see that when I walked. I was so excited to be back. That's good. I I love that we've seen God's healing mercies. I love that he's allowed us to experience an adoption. I love the opportunities he allows me to, to have. And then there's a lot of things I love that have nothing to do with that. I love that it's almost college football season. I love a lot of things that are not inherently bad. But if my love for any of those things robs the affection that's designed for the one true God, then I'm not giving him my all. But if I love him right, he'll help my love for all those other things be better than it ever could have been. So do you love God with all you are, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind? Or as we say here on a weekly basis, do you love God passionately? So how do I know if I do that? Um, Let me just give you some things. This isn't all inclusive, but this will help you get down the road. First of all, do you see love in your devotional life? So this morning, before I began to to work some more on this message, I I spent some time in God's word. I I spent some time in prayer. When you do that, are you doing that out of love or, or out of compulsion, out of duty or out of delight? Do you see love in your spiritual disciplines? So in just a few moments, we'll take an offering. And, and when you give or, or, or when you share your faith or, or, or when you try to do those things like show up at church regularly, is, is that out of love? Do you see love in that? Or is, is that a box you're checking off? Do you see love in just your daily existence? When you're at work, in your neighborhood, is it contagious? Man, as I was reading this book and hearing these stories, you know what I was thinking? I want to be like Bob because it seems like Bob's more like Jesus than me. 
And I want you and I want my neighbors to think that about me, not to bring me glory, but to point to Jesus. Do you see love in your destiny? When you think about what you're doing and what God's created you to do, do you see that it's all in the context of love? Well, how do you do that? I I think you get there by something that's in this last phrase. So let me quickly remind you of what that last phrase was. And love your neighbor. What was the last part? So isn't this interesting? We're going to talk about what it means to love our neighbors for the next several weeks. But scripture assumes a healthy view of self. Scripture assumes that this involuntary action, this instinctive attitude of self-love is there. But you know my observation? I don't think it is. I think too often we've got the two extremes. I think a lot of you in here, you don't like yourself very much. You would say you don't love yourself And that's not okay. Others of you, just be honest, you love yourself too much. And so when you go on fake book or when you're on the gram, I mean, you're putting what you want everybody to see, but it's not the the real you. And you know that. So can I just give you two things that may real quickly help you have a healthy attitude of, of self? First, see yourself as an image bearer. So you are not your job. You are not your education. You are not your bank account. Listen, you are not your spouse. You are not your peer group. You are who God created you in his image. Every one of you bears the image of your creator. Imago Dei. You were created in the image of God. Don't you forget that. But also think of yourself as a grace clothes wearer. And as I stand up to speak, you know what I'm aware of every time? Oh God, I can only be here because of your grace. I'm so thankful that everybody out there doesn't know me like you know me. Thank you for forgiveness and thank you for mercy and thank you for grace. So if you want to begin to love your neighbor and love God the way that you should, it kind of starts with understanding who God created you to be. So really Jesus was saying the secret to living with forever fulfillment is this. Live to learn to love. I hope you learned something from that. But before we wrap this up, I wonder if you would notice one more thing in this passage of Scripture. After the story of Jesus, the Bible says, or or after the answer of Jesus, the Bible says that the man desiring to justify himself. Did you catch that? He had said, I I know the most important commandment. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with with all your strength, with all your mind, but, but desiring to justify himself. 
You know what I've understood? Almost 50 years of life. I always get into trouble when I try to justify myself. When I try to do what only God can do. So how did God justify me? See, he took me, that thief, that robber, that sinner. And because I trusted in the death of Jesus Christ, he gave me forgiveness and grace and life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.